Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In, the podcast where we talk about what's going on in our brains instead of what's happening outside. We're your hosts, Steffi Predmore and Megan Myers. This week's episode, My Journey of Adoption. Oh, hey. Hello there. What is up? Oh, not much happening over here. We started soccer season today, so back to the kind of weird dinner schedule. Yeah. Doesn't he have... Well, I know last year, was it like practice on like Fridays or something really goofy like that? It was on Fridays last year. Um, So the way that our soccer league works, uh, it's currently the age he's at he is being coached by volunteers like parents Uh and so the parents get to pick when practice is going to be Hmm. um there's i think maybe there's some options based on you know field availability and stuff sure but they essentially get to pick um and last year yeah for some reason it was like a friday evening when it did do you know when it is this year yeah, they do Tuesdays and Thursdays, so twice a week now. Um, I feel but like it's, that's better. It's uh, five thirty to six fifteen, so Ooh, like exactly when we eat dinner normally. Yeah, that's a goofy time. But I always felt like he's little enough that I feel like Friday afternoons, like you've done a whole week of school, and you get to Friday afternoon, like aren't they tired and like kind of cranky? I don't know. I just. I don't want to do anything on Friday afternoon. Why would a six-year-old want to do anything on Friday afternoon? So, yeah, I was never very great because, um, like, you know, Fridays a lot of times we go out to eat on a Friday. Yeah, and, it's like family night. Yeah. Um. So it'll be a little bit better this time. Yeah. We have never had done a, a two nights a week with him yet. That'll be interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting. The good thing is that he's very excited about it because one of his best friends is on his team. Oh, yay. So he is going to have a lot of fun, I think. And the coach seems like he knows what's up. So that's good. Should be a good season. That's good. Hopefully it don't make you run on the field this time. Uh, No, better not. (laughs) For our listeners, last season, I don't know if I talked about it last season, but the coach made the parents play sharks versus minnows on the field with the kids pass except it was not proper sharks versus minnows it was weird <laughs> it was improper sharks versus well i mean minnows. i just was not prepared for that well, situation no, half I the parents had like flip-flops on it was not yeah i, I straight would have noped the fuck out of that situation so <laughs> you're better the fact that you did it means that you're a better person than i am so. well you can't really not do it if it's like even number of parents and kids because they need like the matchup mm-hmm. i so, think i would have had a really like oh i have an old injury that's flared up and i my doctor said <laughs> i can't run like I, oh no it's really tragic oops darn i'll <laughs> keep score on the sidelines <laughs> steffi is not athletic guys no zero <laughs> percent athletic it's i was i did music and theater in school so my husband's the athlete not me (laughs) (laughs) oh man what about you anything new happening uh yeah we've got this um little thing happening called we are parents i know it's so crazy Ah! 
So that's why we're going to talk about our adoption journey this week, because we had quite the surprise a few weeks ago. Um, I was getting a manicure <laughs> and on a Saturday afternoon, and we got a call and they said, there's a mama in labor and she's chosen you. And we hopped in the car and by... 8.52 that evening, we were watching our daughter be born. And it's just, it was insanely fast. And I'm still sort of pinching myself that she's here and she's real and she's beautiful and healthy and gaining weight like a champ. And oh, it's so awesome. So yes. Yeah. So we decided that this would be a really good episode for you to talk about all things adoption, essentially. Yeah. Um, you've been in the adoption space for a few years now, so mm-hmm. you're definitely the person I know that knows the most about <laughs> it. Uh, so we're hoping that by having you share, you can educate our listeners and yeah. hopefully they'll come away knowing more about adoption and how to support other people. Yeah, for sure. Because even if you don't like have someone in your immediate family or friend group that is adopted or is an adoptive parent or a birth parent, I would wager a guess that someone you know is touched by adoption, even if you don't know it. Mm -hmm. Um, They might be a birth parent and they've just never shared that, or they might be adopted and they just don't talk about it, or you know any number of combinations of things. And so. I have a lot of friends that have said that they've really benefited from learning more about adoption over the last few years and just it they feel like it's helped them be um, a better friend to people that have sort of come up in this their sphere that have a connection to adoption and sort of makes them a better ally, I guess. So that's kind of a funny word to use for this, but um, I think it's I think it still works. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah. So let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Always. um, (laughs) Of this, uh, I guess, I I like the word journey. I feel like it's been a journey. Yeah. Um, Having, you know, been a, um, not participatory, but, you know, a a viewer alongside along the way. Um, So to start off with, at what point did you and your husband know that adoption was the right path for you as a family? Yeah. So interestingly, Alex and I both came into our relationship with adoption sort of being a thought in our minds of something that we each wanted to do eventually. We just thought that we would have bio kids first. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't know a whole lot about it, um, but there was just something about it that sort of was stuck in our minds and we started trying to get pregnant pretty soon after we got married we've been living together for a year and a half at that point so you know by the time you're living together you've basically been married for that period of time and so it became pretty evident early on that this was not going to be an easy thing um i was eventually diagnosed with endometriosis and underwent three surgeries for that and then there were some other issues that were still preventing us from getting pregnant and 
So we got married in April of 2015. And then at the end of 2017, so it had been like two and a half years, um, I my brain and my body were just done. Mm-hmm. And um, we, because of, you know, my different issues that I had going on with my fertility, um, we knew that IUIs, um, which is basically like artificial insemination, um, we knew that was not going to work. And IVF was a big question mark. And IVF is really expensive. Mm-hmm. And you can go through multiple rounds of IVF before it works. So... It was one of those things where it was enough of a question mark that we didn't feel comfortable pursuing it because we felt like we could spend just as much money on IVF as we could on adoption and come out of it without being parents and then still potentially have to go go through the adoption process. So we decided to just, and and honestly, I'm so glad that we did that because my body was just done, my emotions were just done, and um, in the in the ensuing couple of years since, I have very much let go of ever wanting to be pregnant. Like my girlfriends will be pregnant, and the only thing that I wish I could experience is feeling the baby move and kick. But that really, honestly, the rest of it, particularly the childbirth part, um, <laughs> at this point, I just don't really have any desire to ever experience. Um, and so I'm really glad that we just decided that that part of our journey was over. Um, and so we decided to just dive into adoption and we dove in head first and so that was the end of 20 like december of 2017 and we were awaiting family by like mid-january yeah that's really fast it was fast um so the home study process can take a really long time but honestly a lot of it has to do with how quickly you do the paperwork and i don't know if you'll have noticed but i'm an enneagram one and so Steffi i love, loves paperwork <laughs> i love paperwork it's like my <laughs> olympics and so i just powered through that paperwork and um the um professionals that we were using they you know once we had that most of that paperwork in we were really just waiting for our final like fbi background checks to come back and so they went ahead and put us up as a waiting family because it was clear at that point that we were going to pass our background checks um so yeah we did i mean i did most of that paperwork in like a month and then like a few weeks after that our final clearances came back um and our home study was complete. So that it was that was it was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Why did you guys choose infant adoption as opposed to adopting an older child or even doing foster to adopt? So I think um, that's a really great question. And it actually touches on one of the like myths slash misconceptions of adoption that I really wanted to talk about, which is um, a lot of people think that fostering is a cheaper and or faster path to adoption. Um, But the truth is that the real root of fostering is reunification. And that's really the the point of fostering. Um, There are definitely waiting child programs out there. um, And 
Alex and I just didn't feel like we were ready for that at this particular point in our lives. We've been through a lot of trauma ourselves, you know, losing my mom and, you know, having her be sick and the infertility and things like that. And we didn't feel quite ready to um, bring an older child into our home. Um, But in terms of fostering, like, you can certainly foster and get, you know, a newborn or a very young baby, but you have to be in a heart place where you can acknowledge that they may be reunified with their biological families. And that is the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, sometimes that happens and it's not the right thing, but that is the goal of fostering. And so um, there are definitely families that go into fostering with a goal of adopting and that can become kind of a sticky thing and um, wasn't something that we wanted to do. Um, So that's why we decided to go domestic infant adoption. Um, And then uh, we decided not to do international adoption. You know, just there was a lot... um, a lot more paperwork. It can be more expensive, um, not always, but um, again, you're often, you're most often not adopting an infant. Um, you're most often adopting a slightly older child, and um, just wasn't what we felt was right for our our family and the child um, at this point in our lives. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you don't actually realize how complex it all is until you're like really in it. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's like very clear, like, oh yeah, adoption, blah. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, there's like all of this stuff. Because I think what people also don't realize is there is trauma in adoption no matter what route you go. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, it seems obvious that a child that's been through foster care would have trauma or a child who was an international adoptee and maybe spent some years in um, an orphanage, for example, um, would have some trauma. But infant adoption also causes trauma. Anytime a child is separated from their biological parents, that can cause some level of trauma. And so you have to be prepared to handle that. And so it really came down to what are we, what do we feel equipped to handle at this point in our lives? Because we want it to be the most healthy situation for the child and not just for us. Right. So that brings up a semi sort of related, I guess, um, topic about open adoption. And yeah. I know that open adoption was really important to you. So tell us about, tell us first cover the difference between the two for our listeners who might yeah. not know, and then explain why you guys chose that. Yeah. So open adoptions are relatively new. Um, I know some, I've met some birth moms, come to know some birth moms who placed their children, you know, even like, you know, 15 years ago and open adoption wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. Um, so historically adoptions have been closed, which means there's no sharing of information. So most most typically, um, particularly adoptions like when we were kids and, th- and prior to that, um, the adoptive families probably wouldn't even meet 
the birth parents. They wouldn't know any identifying information about them. They would just have, you know, your kind of standard non-identifying information and then most likely no contact. Maybe they might send some updates via the agencies, um, but and a lot of times those records, adoption records were sealed and the adoptee, if they wanted to search for their birth families would have to open the records, like petition to have the records open depending on the state um, when they turned 18 and it is a whole process. So open adoption, I think a lot of times, and this was something that even sort of we had, we learned as we started the process, people think that open adoption is synonymous with like co-parenting and it's so not Mm -hmm. Um, like we are our daughter's parents. Um, But an open adoption just means that there is a sharing of information and that can be on any number of levels. It could be that you share letters and pictures once a month. It could be that you text each other occasionally or have phone calls or FaceTime calls occasionally, or you have, you know, yearly in-person visits. There's a whole like spectrum and Open adoption has become more of the norm. Um, And again, that can be in any degree, right? Um, Because it's been shown to be better for the child. And um, having become friends with a lot of birth moms, honestly, it's better for the for the biological parents most of the time as well. It can be very healing for them. Um, And so we wanted to, you know, we were very open and hoping for an open adoption situation. And we've been so abundantly blessed with our daughter's birth family. They are incredible. We met them and um, like felt an instant connection to them. It felt like we'd known them our whole lives. And, you know, I text with her birth mama pretty much every day. We're already planning our, we had a visit um, before we left her birth state and we are planning to, you know, go up and visit pretty soon. And, um, you know, just giving the, our daughter the chance to like know her biology is so important. Like, I think when you grow up with your, with your biological family, you don't realize what, uh, what it means to like go to the doctor and know all of your family medical history mm-hmm. or to like know what your ethnicity is or any of those things. And for so many years, adoptees haven't known that. And, you know, so many adoptees don't even know, you know, what time they were born or what their birth weight was or details that so many of us could like rattle off because we've heard our moms tell us all the time. Um and so even just like little pieces of information like that are things that we want our daughter to know and having that open adoption, you know, gives her that path to know that and also that path to ask hard questions someday and, you know, get answers from all of us. Um, so that's sort of a long winded answer. But <laughs> <laughs> and I think too, it's it's a lot of it is about... Um, making that be her choice Mm -hmm. versus some choice that you are projecting or making her have yeah totally one of my really has become one of my really good friends her name is ashley mitchell her um, instagram handle is big tough girl 
she is a birth mom. She placed her son 14 years, almost 14 years ago. And um, has, you know, it started off closed and then they opened it up and they have a very open relationship. But, you know, she always likes to say their open adoption really changed when her son became old enough to have an opinion. And, um, you know, like one day she got a text message and it was from him. And she was like, does your mom know you're texting me? He's like, yes. Like he wanted to text her. And like now he has the ability at 14 years old to say like, I'd really like to see Ashley or I'd like to call her or any of, you know, I have questions for her. And so I think, you know, like you said, being open when, when Eden is old enough to say, you know, what do you want? Do you want contact? Do you want to have a visit? You know, let have a voice. This is your life. Let's, let's have you have a say. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's important for anyone. So totally. Right. So hopefully we're not going to get emotional. This next question. (laughs) Um, but I wanted to cover it because I think it's, it, it happens a lot in adoption, and so I wanted to make sure that we kind of addressed it a little bit. You guy, you and Alex were matched multiple times in the past mm-hmm. two, not even yeah. two years. Two years, yeah. <laughs> Very short time frame. Yeah. Um, but those other matches didn't work out. How on earth did you guys process that? <laughs> so, yeah, we had three prior matches that disrupted um, and they were all very different from each other. One was about six weeks after we went live. The other was about a year ago. And then the third one was just a few weeks before our daughter was born. Um, and all very different mamas, all very different situations. Um, and the way that they disrupted was all very different. And they were really hard. Um, and the first one we had barely been doing this long enough to even know what we were doing with the first one. And so the first one was hard um, just because like, I didn't know how to feel and how to process it really. Mm -hmm. And after that, because of my personality, I really dove into learning as much as I could about ethical adoption and how to do this well. And, and we had almost a year between our first two matches. And so I had mm-hmm. a long time to learn <laughs> things. And I started following people like Ashley and others, a lot of other accounts on Instagram in particular, and learning a whole lot and, you know, really coming to terms with the fact that as adoptive parents, no baby is ours until the paperwork is signed and or the revocation period is over. And every single state has different laws about all of that. So no baby is yours until the law says it is. And until that point, the that mama is that baby's parent and she can make any decision she wants, and she, including to parent her child because that's her right. And it's really hard when you're adopting and you hear about this baby that might become yours and you want to you know prepare your heart and your home and also have to like remember that it might not come home with you and that happened to us three times and um you know on it like 
I've even I've talked to like my birth mom friends and they're like you're allowed to grieve this like it's all hard it is adoption is hard from every angle and so I had to learn to allow myself to grieve but also for me I think kind of diving into a little bit of advocacy has really mm-hmm. helped me heal and like process those things and really rooting for birth parents um our second match um the we actually had the baby out of the hospital with us for a few days before his mama decided to parent and um that was really taking him back was the hardest thing i probably the second hardest thing i've ever had to do second to you know watching my mom die um and but afterwards like i had had a month of texting and talking to this mama every single day and had just felt such a connection with her in the hospital and i really missed her like i missed the baby but i really really missed her and i a few weeks later like texted her and i was like hey like do do you maybe want to be friends and then i was like and then i like put my phone down and like walked away it's like if you like it felt like texting the guy and being like hi do you want to like do do, i like you do you want to go on a date and like right oh my god what's he gonna say um and she you know texted me back and was like i would love that i've missed you so much and um long story short that little boy is now our godson and we've we get to be in his life and watch him grow up and i get to see his mom parent and she is one of the best moms i know and i'm so glad that she got to parent him like it was hard for us but he's absolutely where he is supposed to be and um for me that's been so healing and i and i think it's been really healing for alex too um i'm trying not to speak for him too much but i think it has been really healing for him to see how well they're doing and they've been through some hard stuff but they're doing really really well and we get to to know him and love on both of them and that has made the fall throughs a little bit easier Mm-hmm. um this this last one we honestly we almost didn't even get a chance to process this last one because 12 days later our daughter was born <laughs> so we were I like know, it was still, crazy I mean I can't I, I know how like I reacted when you called me and it was happening and I can't even imagine like what was going through yes, your mind you literally go oh my god <laughs> it was amazing was like, yeah it what was is like, happening <laughs> i know it was like emotional whiplash like you go from yeah. like you know we trekked out to new jersey and met them and then they decided parent we trek back home with that stupid empty car seat and then 12 days later we're holding this beautiful baby girl and we were like what what is happening um and honestly i think i will still be processing some of these things for a while i'm certainly not quitting therapy anytime soon you guys um i mean parenting like i feel uh guys my kid is 12 my oldest kid is 12 and i feel like i'm still like how did this happen Like I know, I know how it happened. But I like, was there when it happened. But how? How, <laughs> how am I a parent? What is happening here? Right? Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, just how suddenly it happened, and like the various, you know, hard things we went through to get here. I think it'll 
Alex and I have talked about the fact that I think it'll take us a while to really like work through and process all of that. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's certainly we've started a whole different part of our journey. And that's, you know, this, this bringing home the baby is not the end. It is the beginning of something different and new and exciting. And so that's very exciting. It's really exciting. (laughs) So as everyone knows, we all have opinions Mm -hmm. about things. Have you I think I think you have before. I I feel like I remember this happening on Instagram a uh-huh. while ago. But you probably dealt with some naysayers when it yeah. comes to adoption in general, and you know, your choices that you're making for adoption. Yeah. Um. And how how do you handle those people? So we've been lucky in that no one in our like quote real lives has been against this. Our families and our friends were super supportive from day one. And, you know, all of our family, like they were just so open and no one was like, well, I don't know if I can love somebody that's not biologically our grandchild or I don't know. They would just were like, yeah, this is going to be, she's going to be part of our family. The mm-hmm. end. Um, I definitely did a while back experience some um, haterade on Instagram. And I feel like, honestly, any adoptive parent, actually, I feel like anyone connected to adoption that is open with it on social media has experienced some trolls come at them. Um, and in this case, um, it was... I think somebody who had placed her child for adoption and I think it just was a really bad situation and um she you know I just ended up deleting her comments I blocked her and because it's my profile I can do what I want um and I didn't really necessarily need the kind of nasty things that she was saying on my profile um but I just also had to say like she is a hurt person. Like she is hurting. And that is what I have seen most often, particularly like with the people who are being nasty on social media. Like there are definitely some groups that um, I've seen some transracial adoptive families get hate from like white supremacy type groups um and things like that i've seen um some birth moms get some heat from like very pro-life people and groups um but excluding like that kind of hate most often it's coming from individuals who are hurt and they're hurting and i've just sort of had to say like you know what they're in a bad place. It doesn't mean that I have to take their nasty comments or their bullying or whatever they're doing. I can block them and move on. But gosh, what has happened in their life to make them like that? Yeah. Is that saying um, hurt people hurt people? Yes. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just really... something you, you kind of have to remember. And, yeah. you know, I've, I'm sure it won't be the last time. And I'll just, again, you know, like I'll block them. And it, because it's also not my like, it's not my place. And I don't have to try to like educate them or change their minds. And 
it's sort of like when people are trying to change people's political opinions on Facebook. Like, why, uh, yeah. why are you wasting your breath? They're not going to just suddenly decide to become a Democrat because you had this debate with them. Like, it, just cut it out. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste your time. Don't necessarily have to hold any, like, hate towards them. But I also don't have to endure whatever they're throwing at me either. Right. I think it comes down to the, you know, if they're, you can address the fact that they're spewing certain, you know, untruths or something at you, but it, um, trying to remove the, the source of their anger is not really, mm-hmm. it, it's not something that you can do and right. it's not productive to yourself in terms of your own emotional well-being. I yeah. think to to be dealing with that, um, especially if you know it's something that you deal with a lot through social media or other places. Luckily, I'm glad that you don't have people in your life that are like being yeah. weird about it. Um, yeah, and I can't and imagine I, how you deal with that if that was the right? case. Right? Because I definitely aside from me I, like knocking down their door. Aside <laughs> <laughs> from Megan going to bat for us. Right. I mean, like, and I and I know that we're really, really lucky in that way because I know that there's definitely been, you know, adoptive families that have had their family members who weren't supportive, particularly if, if they were open to adopting a child of a different race or ethnicity, mm-hmm. um, which we were and our family was like, whatever like they'll doesn't really matter we will love this child bring it on um but yeah we were very lucky not to have that in our like real like personal lives so we covered some misconceptions earlier Mm -hmm. but i'm assuming you have a few other misconceptions (laughs) about adoption that you would like to clear up yeah um i think one really big one is that birth moms don't want their child and so they're placing their child for adoption because they don't want them and that could not be like further from the truth um i i and i you know i mentioned before like i have developed a real heart for birth parents and i've befriended a lot of birth moms they're just some absolutely some of my favorite people um and they wanted their children so badly and adoption was not like a flippant decision that they made and they it's not and it's something that they have had to grieve and work through for years and you know my friend ashley's 14 years post placement and she's still working through her grief about placing her son um and that doesn't mean that they you know regret it or wish they made a different decision because and ashley talks about this all the time like that's a really like when people are like well do you regret it she's like well you're asking me to choose between the son that i placed or the children that i parent with my husband who i met after i placed only because of the things that happened in my life after I placed my son. Like, that's a Mm -hmm. crazy thing to ask me to like, well, if you could go back and do it differently, like you can't. So don't ask the question. Um, But I just, I think that um, if I could soften the world's heart towards birth moms and that they're not like giving up a child, they're, they're making a decision. They're not giving up. They are, 
choosing a different life for their child and they love their child so much and they want them and it's a hard hard decision um like that I think is my biggest thing that I wish I could like change about how people view adoption um also you know I I think people think that um birth parents are all like young like teenagers and actually with the rates of teenage pregnancy going down there's a lot of older um older expectant parents who are choosing adoption um for any number of reasons so um it's definitely like a changing sort of demographic which i think is just interesting from like a sociological perspective yeah so yeah that's i think those those are a couple things that i i just want to i guess clear up don't hate on my birth mama friends. I will come at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, I think the other thing is, uh, you know, nobody can presume to put themselves in the, the birth mom's shoes. They have no right. idea. Right, like, it's sort of like, it, I mean, it's like anything. Like, how people say, like, well, if I was in their shoes, I would have done this. Well, mm-hmm. well would you? Like, do do you like do you know everything about that woman's situation and have you lived that? Like, would you make a different decision? Um, I think we should just have a lot of grace for people, um, and that you know I, I've learned to have a lot of grace for the women that choose abortion. Like, I grew up in the church and I I believe life starts at conception, and so abortion is not something that I personally would ever want to have to choose um but i am also pro-choice and i am very pro a woman's right to choose and i've you know learned a lot from my friends in the adoption world and you know that there are some decisions that are just impossible to make and i cannot presume to say what someone else should be doing with their body and because I cannot possibly know what is going on in their life. And so I just think we just need to have a lot more grace with each other um, and stop judging everybody else so much. Absolutely. What advice would you give for people who are looking to become adoptive parents? I would say educate yourselves so much and not just the quote education that you typically have to do for a home study. Um, usually for a home study, there's there's a whole bunch of paperwork and there's depending on the state, there's a whole bunch of different requirements, anything from, you know, different health testing that you have to do to um, different background checks to, you know, getting a, um, a um, CPR certification. Um, But then there's usually also some sort of adoption education component. And what I've learned is that that component is usually pretty lacking. (laughs) Um, It's, it's often extremely boring and doesn't really cover anything particularly useful. So you have to kind of do the work to educate yourself. Um, I, again, I follow a lot of accounts on Instagram and I'll link to these in the show notes, but um, Big Tough Girl is amazing. Um, From another mother, Kelsey, um, she was our guest on our social media episode. Um, She's really great. Um, 
and I'll link to a couple other birth moms as well. I'll also link to some adoptees who speak out a lot. And then there's a couple of um, more like adoption triad communities on Instagram. Adopt Well is one of them. And they also have an adoption podcast and Kindred and Co. Um, and they have a great blog um, where you can learn from people from all sides of the triad. And I, you know, I would just dive in and I would do some reading and listening to podcasts. And I would also recommend reading the book, The Girls Who Went Away. Um, it is a very hard book to read. It's about um, what they call the baby scoop era, which is the time between the end of World War II and the passing of Roe v. Wade. And it was a very um, kind of dark time in adoption where women were sent to maternity homes and coerced into placing their children. They were told that they didn't deserve to raise their children and that they didn't even deserve to grieve this. They should just get over it and move on with their lives. And um, we're still shaking off a lot of the things that were done during that era now. So I think it's, even though it's a really hard read. I think it's really important for understanding sort of the history of where we've been and what we're overcoming to do adoption better and do better by our children and our children's parents. I have also heard that the books Primal Wound and The Connected Child are really good. I have not read those yet myself. They are on my to read list. They're a little bit more about the adoptee experience and like raising adoptees. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have heard excellent things about both of those books. There was another book that I believe we talked about on the podcast way back when we started, I think, um, mm-hmm. that you read that I recommended to you. Yes, yes. But I cannot all you can remember ever, the name. Yeah, it was All You Can Ever Know. And it's That's a right. memoir by a um, transracial adoptee. And it's amazing. It was really, really good because she came – she um, – was raised in a close adoption. And so it's about that. And it's about her journey of finding her birth family and some of the fallout there and learning that, you know, some of the narrative that she was told by her parents was not necessarily true about why her birth parents chose adoption. And um, it was, it's very, very good. I will link to that in the show notes as well. Do you know of any really good TV shows or movies that handle adoption in a, in a really good way Gosh. or ones to steer clear of that handle it in a really poor way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, I, I don't know that I've seen anything that does it like really perfectly. Um, I will say that, um, there are a lot of things about This Is Us that I think they handled well. Um, I think there's, I think there's definitely some things in the, and I, and I have not watched the most recent couple of seasons, so I am saying that with this caveat. But at least in the first couple seasons, mm-hmm. um, I think there were definitely some things they handled really well, particularly with, um, you know, showing randall how he really struggled like once he found his birth father like how he struggled with kind of joining those two worlds and not wanting his mom to feel like he didn't love her but also desperately wanting to know his birth 
father and all of that. And so um, that felt very real. Um, So there's definitely, I think, some things in This Is Us that they did well. Um, In Parenthood, I didn't, I don't know that I necessarily love the, all of their adoption stuff quite as much, but I do, I do now having gone through disruptions, appreciate that they included an adoption disrupting, um, in that storyline. I think that that was important that people can see that happened. Um, I wish they maybe handled it slightly differently, but, um, I do like that they, acknowledge that that's a very real thing that can happen and does happen so those are just a couple that are coming to mind and I'm sure I will think of more as I do our show notes so if I think of more I will list them in the show notes (laughs) I that was one I just like thought of and I wanted to like oh wait that would actually be really interesting to kind of look at from uh, yeah for sure also like a social kind of study yeah I might actually ask like on my own um like instagram stories and then like share those responses um of what some of my adoption friends say um because also like i'm coming at it from an adoptive parent perspective but an Mm -hmm. adoptee is going to feel differently about certain things and a birth parent's going to feel differently about certain things so um there's definitely it when you bring all sides of the triad in like they're all going to notice different things about the situation because they all have you know, different experiences with it. Sure. So how can others like me support yeah. those who are on their adoption journey? Um, I think that educating yourselves is really important and has been really valuable. Like my friends taking the time to like, if I, and, and, and it's probably easier as my friend because I am vocal on Instagram (laughs) and I say like, Hey, this is a really good account that everyone should follow. So it's easy to like hop over and follow them. Um, but even just doing some education on like good adoption language and, you know, like positive adoption language and just working to like incorporate that into your vocabulary and knowing that you're probably going to make mistakes and might not say everything perfectly. But I think that if you are even making the effort to do even like that thing, your friends or loved ones will like see that and appreciate that effort um that you you know if you're especially if you're going to be someone who is going to be in their child's life like Mm -hmm. just being aware of like the things that you're saying and like you know even being open to saying like if i say something and it's not correct or it's insensitive or whatever like please let me know i want to be a really good auntie or you know friend or whatever to your child and to you i think that is a really good way to end the discussion And I know that probably your biggest joy right now is that <laughs> adorable little baby. It is. She's so cute. <laughs> you sent that video the other day and she was snoring. And oh, my goodness. It's the cutest thing ever. And then it also made me remember like when my kids used to do that. It's so I sweet. I've, we've had multiple people be like, oh, my God, I forgot how little they are. I know. And, you know, all their little tiny baby snores and they like make those cute little noises. And, and they have like the just, crazy oh. monkey legs. And, yes. Like, <laughs> oh. It's so they're so sweet. But I, I, I 
did think, okay, I have to come up with something not entirely baby related to save <laughs> my joy. So um, I actually learned that in like one of our neighboring towns, they just opened one of those like crafting and cocktail places so yes yes, you and I went to one in Austin and it's just basically a bar and they you go and you pay your money to make your craft or whatever and you have three hours and they have all these different crafts and they give you the materials and the instructions and you can have drinks and craft with your girlfriends or whatever and it was so much fun when you and I did it we didn't have a super long time when we were there and we were both like, I wish we had longer to do this. So I'm super excited. My friend that I like to do craft nights with, actually, she is a mom to a one-year-old. And so we were actually like, okay, we're going to have to do a mom's night out soon and like go like have the dads, you know, watch the kids. And we're going to go do some crafts at the fun little bar place because... That's going to be super fun. Yeah, that would be super fun. I know that when when we went, I think the projects is they all have like an estimated time yeah uh-huh. for them to be done but like you i mean you and i do crafts not like and it's right. not like they're super super difficult the ones right. that they have at these little um i want i want to say shops and i want to say bars but they're it's <laughs> neither and both at the same time right uh, establishments yes. um uh, we would have, if we had been able to stay the entire, like, scheduled time, we would have been able to do at least two apiece. Oh, totally. It's so disappointing totally. we didn't have time to do that, but and the, like, and next like, time. It's right. And the thing I actually really enjoy is the fact that you can do the craft, but you don't have to buy all the stuff. So, like, yeah, you can make one thing without having to buy, like... All the tools. All the tools and, you know, like a whole thing of wire or a whole thing of macrame thread or whatever it is. Like you have exactly what you need. So you don't have to like bring the mess home. You leave the mess there. Right. That's like the thing that I liked about what you made is that like you would need to buy that whole set of metal letter stamps and the thing to stamp it with and like all all of the stuff. It would have mm-hmm. been so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually like a really brilliant business situation. All they need totally to do is. is start selling food there. Oh, absolutely. Aside from, Bri- you can bring it in, but they should also have food on site. I might never leave if they sold food there. Right? I just might move in. <laughs> and then be like, oh, crap. Now this lady lives here. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Guess we'll give her a job. <laughs> All right. What's bringing you joy, Megan? So, Besides the video of my baby snoring. I know. That's why I, <laughs> the EOTD, that's what that is. <laughs> well, my yes, daily. I've, started, I've started sending Eden's outfit of the day because baby girl clothes are real fucking cute. Yeah, real cute. I've only had it. I have a couple friends now that have girls, but for a real long time, it was only boys. Um, and my niece, I have my niece, but she lives far away, so... I don't really get to like see her as much, um, so I'm like very into the, the baby, baby, the baby, little baby. girl clothes. Because yes. every time I go to the store, I'm like, but why is it for little girls and not grown up girls? I know. I had her in this cute <laughs> little like romper today, like cold weather romper jumpsuit so situation. Cute. It was so cute and it was so cozy, and I was like, I want one in my size. I would like to have. I mean, I guess that's just basically a. Well, no, it's not a snuggie, but it kind of is a snuggie. 
I guess. I mean, it's I guess it's a onesie, but like, it was a really cute like pattern, like print. It wasn't like you know, like you can buy like unicorn onesies. I don't want a unicorn onesie. I want like a fashion onesie. I don't know. I bet they make them. Probably. We're gonna start getting ads <laughs> sort probably will. on our Instagram for grown-up onesies because <laughs> yep. our phones are listening. <laughs> anyway, um, I started watching a show that had been on my list to watch, but then you also recommended it to me, so I started watching it, and I am loving it. It is AJ and the Queen, yes, and it is so good it's really good like i didn't really know what to expect about the show um i didn't look it up or anything i just was like okay rupaul's in it i'm gonna watch Mm it yeah that's sort of how i was yeah and it's a really good show it is it's very campy and fun but also emotional yeah there's a lot of levels being hit Mm -hmm. um i love his friend yeah i love the kid even though i don't i don't really like the voiceovers but um, yeah. The kid's pretty awesome. I love all the random characters they meet along the way. Yes. Uh, it's a great show. And the acting is really good. I guess I didn't, like... I'm sure that's one of the reasons why they're doing this show. Like, um, if you don't know who RuPaul is, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> Secondly, uh, I'm sure a lot of people just consider him to be a drag queen, and that's right. it. Um, but he is a pretty good actor. Yeah. So... It's exciting yeah, to watch. It's really great. And mm-hmm. also, there's lots of fabulous outfits. So, I was just going to say, so <laughs> many fabulous costumes just, yes. and wigs. It's amazing. Love I know. It. It's kind of one of those, when you like, watch any sort of drag queen performance, and I'm just like, but but I want to be pretty, too. It's <laughs> like, I, I can't I do makeup like that at all. I can I barely, I can barely I do a, any makeup. I had a... I had a a sort of peripheral friend in college that he did drag and he would like come back to the dorms like in his heels and I'd be like fuck you and your amazing calves like I just uh, like I right? want I want to be this pretty <laughs> I know they're amazing it's the whole thing so I love that you're watching that show awesome. yeah I don't know um I don't know how many episodes I have left though I'm a little worried I'm getting to the end I think I want to say there were 10, but I could be wrong. Okay. We'll see. I'm on like, I think it might be on number eight. Woo. Yeah. You're, you know, it's getting close. Close. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, next week we are going to be talking about all the weird hippie stuff that we are into because there's a lot of it. There is a lot of it, especially now that you're a parent, there's going to be even more of it. Even more. So join us back here next week as we talk about kombucha scobies, natural deodorant, cloth diapers, and more. Until then, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at IRSI Podcast or send us an email at a rather stay in podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from our listeners. Talk to you soon.